You are listening to Keith Price's Curtain Call. I'm so excited because what you're hearing now is part of a new original cast recording of words and music by somebody who he and I, when I first met this man, I was so in such a great place in such a, a, a different space of time because I was just starting off getting ready to, to launch into what you see me doing now. And you, sir were part of my very, very first full-on, on-air, to-do. I was? You, you, oh. John August, Kate Baldwin, oh, and I William remember, Ivy Long. I remember those people. I remember them. One of, one of those people <laughs> was a category on Jeopardy. <laughs> You can you guess. One of those four people. Exactly. Literally. I'm just not kidding. And... We met, and it was the most fabulous thing because we bonded over the piece that he was doing at the time, which was the big stage musical adaptation of Big Fish, which was robbed. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't mean to make this introduction crazy long, but Andrew Lippa, the amazing, award-winning lyricist composer, our modern-day lyricist composers, because he is etched himself in the world of music, the musical theater especially, with some of the most, um, like I said, every time I think of Big Fish, I think of Kate Baldwin and singing that song to her husband. <laughs> yes, I Don't Need a Roof. I'm seeing Kate you know? Baldwin in her new musical tonight, <gasps> a musical that she's in the, uh, by Tom Kitt and yes. John Logan called Superhero. You have to give her a big hug because I'm going to work out I something will. to get to I, her. I, surpri- I told her I would surprise her when, what night I come, but that I'd be wearing a wig. And then she <laughs> emailed me yesterday. She goes, I can't wait to see your wig. And I said, well, you won't see it because after seeing your performance, it will have flipped. <laughs> 
And I'm, why am I telling you all? Well, this? It's okay because this is like you know those are just one of the gals that hangs out with She's this a... amazing man, Mr. Andrew Lippeth. Hi, Andrew. First of all, hi. Uh, thank you for hi. the show. Hello to everyone and to you in particular. This this is really great because he is here as we talk about this new show that he is. Again, a lot of people didn't get a chance to see it. It happened, this concert recording of of what I think is a really great story. And I was so glad that I was able to at least get the read up on what was going on in his new piece, Unbreakable. Well, I will tell you, thank you for having me on the program. But I will also tell you, a lot of people will get to see it. Unbreakable <gasps> premiered in San Francisco, but it was just the beginning of a very slow but fantastic rollout. Ten more Gay Men's Courses are producing this in the next uh, 12 months, and there are already probably 20 more after that. And I can't announce it on your program here. I will come back, I promise. But something really huge uh, may happen uh, relatively soon. Wow. And so we're really excited about this piece because it was commissioned originally by the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus, who I have a long relationship with. Uh, I did I Am Harvey Milk for them first. Yes. And these 10 other choruses. So 11 choruses got together and said, let's get, let's have Andrew Lipper write another piece. Uh, I'm speaking about myself in the third person now, like Eartha Kitts. <laughs> You, you know, with Eartha Kitt, you would ask her if she wanted to have dinner, and she goes, I don't know if Eartha wants to have dinner. She would literally <laughs> answer you in the third person. I loved her. I loved her. I worked... What are we talking about? Uh, Unbreakable. And Unbreakable is um, uh, the third of uh, of these kinds of pieces that I've I've created. Uh, I Am Harvey Milk was the first. I Am Anne Hutchinson, which Christian Chenoweth, Christian Chenoweth and I did in Washington um, at the Music Center at Strathmore in North Bethesda, in, uh, right near Washington. In DC, and uh, and then now I've written Unbreakable, a seventy-five minute choral work that's about one hundred and twenty years of LGBTQ history in America, and uh, it has been so thrilling because I love writing musicals. As you know, they take forever and right. they break your heart. So uh, they don't always break your heart, but they sometimes break your heart. And uh, uh, these pieces are are more like writing television shows in 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 that. Somebody says, hey, we've got a date. We, we're going to do this thing. We're going to get these people together. It's going to happen. And uh, so write it. And uh, that's what I did with Unbreakable. And I just am so grateful. Well, this is a really great piece because if you are clicking around and Googling like I expect you to as you're listening, because that's what everybody, you know, there's six people, thousand people multitasking at a time. If you go and you look about what Unbreakable is about, and he talks about, you know, chronicling over 120-something years of gay history in America. And it was funny because when I was reading the description, my first thought was, God, that's like what August Wilson did. And then I got to the next paragraph and it was like, he was inspired by August Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> and well, I was like, of course he was. When Tim Selig, the music director of <laughs> San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus, asked me what I wanted to do next for them, I said, you know, I've got to think about that for a right. second. What what am I going to write for you now I, that I've done, uh, you know, already I did I'm Harvey Milk and I didn't know what I was going to do. And I don't know how I, it happened. I was doing research. I was do, looking around online. I was asking myself, what gay stories am I interested in? And it. I was reminded of August Wilson, and I read quite a bit about the the birth of those plays, the Pittsburgh Cycle, the ten plays that right. chronicled the, uh, uh, the African American experience in the United States. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I thought, no one that I know of um, has done 
that kind of chronicling of LGBTQ America, and particularly the American century, what we call or sometimes called the American century, the 20th century, and telling stories that people know, but telling them through a different lens, or telling people stories that people don't know and go, wow, I, I didn't know that person. I don't know who Jane Addams was. Right. You know what was fascinating for me was I was, I was very pleased because there's a lot of times that certain folks get kind of written out of the history of LGBT because of certain circumstances. And I was so glad to see that you had Bayard Rustin as a part of this, oh, telling his story. Yeah, I, I loved it. Yeah. All people. And a lot, of people, a lot of people don't know. It's amazing. A lot of people don't know who he, who he was. And, uh, and, you know, people know Medgar Evers was, and yes. people know a lot of, a lot of other people uh, uh, who were, con- Malcolm X, of course, and people who were connected Jesus or Jesus. had been connected to MLK during the 60s, 50s and 60s. And, uh, and yet a lot of people don't remember Bayard Rustin. And I wonder if it is because he was gay and he was open well, about it. That was that was the thing. And he was working amongst folks. And, you know, this is, it was the church that was moving a lot of that, that, history and he you know because of religious reasons a lot of people would have put the put the gay man to the back but what people don't realize is that he was one of the major major frame workers that put together the entire march on washington yeah and you know to have that remembered especially because like i feel as as a man of color that's also lgbt that sometimes we do we do get taken out of the mix in favor of and i was just so glad because i was wondering when i was reading is like he's chronicling history i mean and it's like you know my as i'm reading the description before i'm starting to listen to the songs that's exactly what's only let me see i wonder if he's gonna look so was that a (laughs) conscious choice for you or did someone made sure to just let you know because- oh, it was a conscious choice. I mean, I, I do think that the suggestion of Bayard Rustin was Tim Seelig's idea from the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus. He said, would I take a look and do some research and consider writing something about him? And it's a good, uh, that's a good example to talk to your audience about what this piece is. It's not a history lesson. Mm-mm. The the piece that, uh, that is led by the, the actor who sings, uh, inhabits the role of Bayard Rustin is, uh, it's called All People. And it's really... Almost a gospel number with a big chorus, and and uh, and the the soloist sings. There are five things I believe in, the principal factors I believe to be true, and the, this is what uh, Rustin said himself: uh, nonviolent tactics, constitutional means, democratic procedures, respect for human personality, which I just it's so interpret. Yeah. You can interpret that in so many ways. And the fifth one was a belief. That all people are one, and and the 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 song itself is called "All People," and it actually rocks out and gospels out uh, about a th- two thirds of the way. Well, you know what we're gonna do? Let me give you a little taste. There are five things I believe in. The principal factors I believe to be true. They are five things I believe in which influence my life, my life. And they are nonviolent tactics, constitutional means, democratic procedures, respectful human personality. 
Getting what's going down, Ooh, Andrew. Ow. So, listen. As 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 you hear this, is like you know you you make mention of of um, the ladies of the Algonquin table. You bring in, mm-hmm. you bring you make sure that there is a conversation for you. What was what was the most surprising thing that you learned about the different periods? What I found most most moving is actually since the recording came out in early February. I've had conversations. The response has been so good and and so supportive from lots of different uh, places. And a couple of my friends who I are also colleagues and also happen to be straight um, had very specific things they wanted to tell me about the about the recording. They hadn't seen the production, but they listened to the recording several times. And. What I concluded talking to them and actually asked them, I said, compare this to I Am Harvey Milk. How how did you respond as a straight person? How how do you see this? Because the truth is, I I don't I can't know. I don't know what it's like to look at the world not gay. Like I am right. gay, and I you know, and I have always been gay, and I am Jewish, and I am you know, everybody's made up of the things that they're made up of. Right. You try very hard. I mean, one of the reasons I write musicals is the whole point of doing theater for me is is empathy, is the idea of of figuring out the other, whoever that is. I, I get to inhabit these characters, and and I hope that audiences get to experience the inhabiting of them. And so my straight friends said that they felt that Unbreakable allowed them as straight people to also march with us and to be with us and to celebrate and to mourn in the way that the piece asks you to. And I was really surprised by that. When I framed it, I, I, early on we, we realized it needed to be chronological. I was thinking originally it was going to be out of sequence. Yeah. And what putting it in chronology does is it it takes anxiety away from the the audience the audience here's the first one in 19 it's 1900 and then it's 19 mm-hmm. you know it's in the 1910s and right. suddenly they're like oh this is going to go decade by decade and people have cursory knowledge of decades and some people know more about some than others right. and so it helps the audience relax and and watch it like this is the next decade what's he going to tell us now what's the next thing we're in on this and i knew it was going to start I, I, I hit on the idea of Unbreakable, and I know that there's a film that uh, uh, 
Bruce Willis starred in uh, yeah, called yeah, Unbreakable. Yeah. This has nothing to do with that, None of course. Of that. And and I didn't care that it was the same title because the notion of um, of, of facing the slings and arrows, as it were, of outrageous fortune, of facing the pain uh, that that has been hurled at us as gay people for so long, and yet yet a woman standing center stage, an African American woman uh, standing center stage and singing. But really what we have to do is just, that's okay. Like, let them do that. I, I'm, I'm accustomed to that. But but we just have to be unbreakable. We hold hands and we stand there and we just, we do not break. We yeah. may bend, but we do not break. And at the end of the piece, the final movement is called Good Things Take Time. And I actually saw that phrase on a greeting card. And... I, I it was like a letterpress greeting card, and it said, good things take time. And when I saw it, I went, aha, that's it. That's the notion. Because progressivism and the building of a state and education and learning to play an instrument and learning to love somebody else and learning to love yourself, all of these things take time. Now, I can't remember the name of the person who said it, but I believe it was a former head of the NAACP who said, good things do not come to those who wait. Good things come to those who agitate. If some one of your listeners out there remembers who it is, please let us know. Ooh. And but that phrase, I learned that I learned that phrase from my friend Dustin Lance Black, uh, the writer of yeah. Milk, and uh, and uh, I I realized that is exactly the point of the end of Unbreakable. The notion of um, we sing the whole ensemble sings. Good things take time with time and force, just like the building of the planet. Um, you know, there's a lot of violence, unfortunately, that goes into making peace and the the planet itself is an example of that, how the plates shifted and the lava melted and the oceans raged. And eventually, and I'm not talking about creationism, I'm talking about uh, actually what happened. And, uh, um, you know, I hear the calls are coming. The calls! <laughs> the, the people in Arkansas are calling. They're angry! Uh, Boycott them! Love you, Boycott. Arkansas! Love you, Ar- Arkansas! <laughs> No, it's like, but that that conversation, you know, like just you know, we're making fun of that 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 particular sect of people, shall we say, that would respond that way. They're not all necessarily from Arkansas. They're they're all over the country, and you know, the times that we're living in right now, it's so interesting. I wondered what you would write about today. Today, like just in this last two years alone, I feel like. Our whole lives as gay people have—it's all changing again. Well, I do have an opinion about that, Give and it to me, baby. and and I can't—I—I'm I, careful with it because it is just that it is yeah. an opinion. And I say, any of my students, any students I ever work with, I always say, your opinion doesn't matter. <laughs> and what I mean—I'm quite serious about that when I'm talking about musicals because right. the whole notion of—you uh, know—you hear young people, uh, or I, I did in the past. You know, when I was young, we would go see a show and we would, you know, like it or hate it, and right. then everybody would dissect it in a certain way. And and I I I find in my fifties that's a, a distasteful uh, way to go through art experiencing, uh, particularly since I'm the president of the Dramatist Guild Foundation, yes. and it's important to me that we support everybody who loves the art form. And so this is my opinion, and my opinion is this: I am not I am not interested personally in creating pieces that are quote unquote about being gay. I'm interested in creating pieces where gay characters, and when I say gay, I mean the whole, you know, pan LGBTQ uh, experience of life. I- I'm interested in writing those people 
as people and presenting them as people. There are gay people in the world and they have lives and stories and families and children and they have dogs and they go to jobs. And and I want to just write about them. I want to write about them. Mm-hmm. I want to write gay characters where people don't say, you're gay, that's an issue. Where people don't say, you know, we ought to fight everybody who hates the gays. Yeah. It's like that there is a part of society where we do have to do that. And I don't think anybody's going to call me and ask me to be the, the heir to Chad Griffin at HRC. I, I can't f- wave that flag. I can't do that. I, I just don't know how to do that. What I know how to do is talk about how we feel and, and try to write things about our experience, whether it's like, again, to go back to Unbreakable, Sylvia Rivera this amazing trans activist and her slash his because he didn't care about the pronouns the whole point was like who cares what they call me and what you call me like call me what it doesn't matter and the whole song is about literally what should you call me and and she says i know the names you use and i'm a there's an incredible explicit list of names (laughs) and and uh, it's really kind of foul-mouthed and in, in, a, in a just endearing way, if there is such a thing. Um, and, uh, and I love that because she was, she just, she didn't, she wasn't caught up in the, you know, don't, it doesn't matter what you call me. What matters is that you let me sit at the table. Right. Which is what's important. It is to me, at least. It, it's always what's been important. I think it's, it's a shame because it feels like you don't. That people don't want to just have that experience because I think that if you could have that experience, then you would not be doing the things and saying the things that people are saying and doing because they just don't know us or they don't want to know us. It, it, it's it, like uh, it is the question of where you mentioned. You know, we mentioned. Uh, I mentioned in a silly way uh, a particular state, but it, it, it's anywhere in the United States. The question is, how does like how do we how do we how do we reach those those folks? The San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus did. Uh, they were going to go to Europe, I think, and they changed it after the presidential election in 2016 and decided to go. Uh, they did what was called the Lavender Pen Tour, and it was basically a red state tour. And they went to lots of different states that um, all had voted for Donald Trump and were tra- are traditionally places where it is not safe to be gay. It is not safe to be black. It is not safe to be other than uh, you know, uh, Christian white American. And the chorus went and sang and, and, and also sat, they made a film about it too. That's coming out. I think this year, it's so, uh, moving to, they, they, they did all this community outreach where they would sit with community leaders and church leaders and lots of other people. Sometimes people who very much did not, uh, see eye to eye with, uh, the, with homosexuality. And, um, it's, you know, I, I can't see that there's any other way but to con- to uh, confront was not the word, but to uh, uh, to commune with people who feel differently from us. And you know, my Twitter feed is probably like everybody's. It, it really <laughs> reflects what I like. It doesn't yeah. reflect what I don't like. And I I think about that occasionally about how you know I should friend I should like follow Ann Coulter, shouldn't I? Like, shouldn't I? You. You know, it's so funny of all of the names that you bring up because of where we are. Like, we have a lot of people that pass through our studio space. And 
you know, not to tell tales out of school, but she was someone who has been through the doors here. And when she popped through the doors here, the only thing that I can say that I thought was very interesting, and this is only because of the way people are presented to you, right? That woman did not give me any eye contact and would not speak to me at all. Mm. And and I, you know, I'm, you know, I'm basically the office queen here. So, you know, I'm going to be in a fabulous mood. And then I see <laughs> tall blonde person, you know, from behind. I'm thinking, oh, who's she? She's fabulous, whatever. And then you're like, oh, oh, heels. oh it's you. And, you know, I, I chose to just be, you know, I'm working. When she was here, I was working. So mm-hmm. I chose to just be in the space. And then I just kept thinking, it's like, wow, what a conversation we could have had. If she didn't ice me out before I even had an opportunity to speak to her, right. you know what I'm saying? And that's just to say, good afternoon, welcome to the studio space. And so I find, you know, being able to go on tour and have those conversations with people is great, especially in mass, because at least you feel a little bit safer. But like on a one-on-one basis in a situation where it feels like you could be able to try to have that moment, sometimes people are not that willing yeah, sometimes people are not that willing, and also I think art is a great uh, is a great communicator and a great uh, way to do it. Uh, uh, there's a, a very good friend of mine, uh, Stuart Oaken, who produced The Adams Family and produced yes. uh, American in Paris. Stuart um, is on the board of a company, uh, a nonprofit uh, film company called Global Arts Corp, and they made a film uh, that I went to the premiere of a few years ago, and it was about this group of, this devised theater group in South Africa that put together a play, and um, a large part of it was about the Truth and Reconciliations Commission and the whole process that they had gone through in South Africa when Mandela, after Mandela became president, to try and forgive their tormentors and persecutors, and they did it in a very public way, and in fact, it was the biggest... uh, uh, communal healing that had ever been recorded in human history. It was done on television, and it was done in a huge, uh, you know, legislative halls, etc., where people were able to confront their uh, their their people who had tortured them, and and and, uh, and people weren't prosecuted, but people were able to communicate with each other. And they made this play, and then they took this play to riven areas like uh, in Ireland, where you know the, where the 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 trouble, what you know, what were known as the troubles between Catholics and Protestants, or to Bosnia Herzegovina, and um, other places in Africa. And they said they considered going to Israel and Palestine. And after they did the research and talked to people, they realized they they couldn't that it. Nobody would sit and talk about it. They wouldn't get in a room. Whereas they filmed all these other conversations. And you saw these people who had once been on opposite sides of, a, of an issue had found a way to talk to each other. And they went to see this play. Uh, they went to go to the, they saw the play done. And then they sat with the artists who'd made the play. And there were heated conversations, but there was at least an attempt at trying to understand somebody else and this somebody else's point of view. And this to me is, you know, gosh. It would be amazing. I remember when we did I Am Harvey Milk in San Francisco, uh, the director of, of that production, Noah Himmelstein, uh, said he had spoken to someone involved with that production who knew a young woman who had come to see it. And the young woman, uh, she was young. She was in her early 20s. And she saw the production of I Am Harvey Milk in the last uh, few pages of music is is the choir and the soloist singing come out 49 times and it's a really powerful expression of Harvey's um, Harvey's edict and uh, this young woman when it was finished she turned to her friend and she said well I, I I'm gonna go call my parents now and tell them hmm. and she went outside and she told her parents she was a lesbian 
And I thought, well, that is a powerful thing. Like if if I wrote a piece where that helped one woman face the truth of her life and face her parents, I don't know what happened after. Um, I hope only good things, but I'm sure it was like most things in life, a combination of good and not good things. You know, and and in that moment, at least she freed herself. I I you know think what I, mean? I think what it was she freed herself and she f- and she actually n- was told by experience that there's a community for her that there that we are there hand, as one of the pieces in Unbreakable says hand in hand mm-hmm. in hand in hand yeah. and that idea uh, it took me forever. I came to New York in 1987, and I was I hid for a long time. I was gay and I was out, but I hid and I I wasn't. I, I was frightened by the community. I was frightened by being gay. And, and it was the 80s of New York City. And so. it was the late 80s in New York City. And and so uh, sex was also incredibly frightening and, and could quite easily lead to death. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I took a long time to feel like I am part of the community. And in fact, when... In 2011, when Tim Selig asked me to write a five-minute piece, and I said, "Can I write a 60-minute piece that became I'm of Your Milk?" They that was really, in some ways, the the culmin not the culmination, sort of whatever the beginning w- uh, of something is that is also a culmination of of my uh, artist self and my gay self coming together, and my myself as a as a grown-up, like I felt. Like I had matured into something else that I was ready to talk about, and it took me twenty five years. Some people, wow. some people never do it. Some wow. people do it. Some people I meet now because the world is different. In their twenties, they're they're able to, to yeah. do this. Well, I marvel sometimes at the the younger folks that you know they have the, I guess it's the cushion to be able to do that, where we didn't have that cushion. You know, I'm 50, I'll be 52 soon. So, you know. Happy birthday. Thank you. And the. I'm older. <laughs> but you look younger. So there. You know what? It's a good thing, by the way. Sorry to interrupt you. That This is audio only because if it were audio visual, I would have. I, everybody in your audience would see that I'm wearing Billy Porter's dress from the Oscars. It was so expensive. They wanted to rent it out. So it has a life now. Beyond Billy. God bless you, Billy. Wow. Wasn't that a fabulous was, costume? That was the most incredible. I'm sorry. I no, you. but that's just the gen, That's That was a moment of. But that really couldn't have happened opening. when we were kids. Absolutely not. It Absolutely have, no, not. It couldn't have happened. You know, and, and look, at, look at what he did. Uh, what an ambassador for that to have yeah, happened. I, I, I you know? couldn't, couldn't be more in agreement. You know, but I mean, we, we just didn't have that luxury. And so it's it's great seeing young people being able to have that freedom to be themselves and it's like you know going back to this piece unbreakable that's available on ghost light records ghost light records shout out oh. to the folks over at ghost light love you ghost light Is that kurt deutsch and all of those boys mm-hmm. and girls over there no amazing group of people I love love me some y'all um shikaboom records um the thing is is that for those like that this piece now really has kind of i feel like one of the things that people of that generation don't get is that um, that there's a lot of people that made those moments possible for folks to be standing out in the middle of their twirl and their things and twerking it and dropping it and having a wonderful time living their true authentic life moment mm-hmm. at that moment mm-hmm. and 
I feel like a lot I of times- I do like a good twerk. Oh, hell, who doesn't? I, just, you know, it's, I gotta do the time yeah, all the next I didn't day. want this to end without, you know. No, 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 no. But I mean, but it's like, but what but every this genera- does- Every generation feels that. Can yeah. I, you know, because I, I will tell you, I had a, I had a serious uh, series of conversations with the, the brilliant Bill T. Jones. And uh, we were going to, uh, there, was, there was talk about uh, us uh, working on uh, some version of the wild party together. And um, it hasn't happened, but it may yet. Who knows? But Bill, I just, I did, I, I just love that. I mean, I really, that that's what an artist is and does. And Bill is an amazing man. And Bill is probably 10 years older than me. And Bill had a, had a, had a he, he, he didn't like the, the song. Well, I didn't say didn't like, but he had some sort of issue with Old Fashioned Love Story, which is the song that the lesbian sings, and she's sort of a vampiric lesbian in the mm-hmm. room singing about trying to go after girls right. and young women. And and I said to him, I said, he said, he said, I just, you know, it, it seems to him it felt like uh, it, it was uh, a character acting in this stereotypical way. And I said, yes, but you realize because of you and you, the people who are fighting the fight before me, I can now write a song like this that we can laugh about and we can say, this is funny Mm -hmm. and we can welcome this kind of thing. You know, it's that whole notion about time plus tragedy equals comedy. Comedy. And, and, and we were able, and he, he, to his credit, he, he, he molded over. Like we really did discuss it and he really thought about it. And this thing that you're talking about is it's fun to age, isn't it? I mean, it really is actually, I love being middle-aged because I have friends in their eighties and nineties. My mother's God bless her. My mother, God bless her is 87 and have children in my life. And so it's, it's really wonderful to be in my fifties and to have these conversations uh, as it were up and down with our, Mm -hmm. with our elders and, and also with our youngers and to see, See where where are we in that, and where what have we done? How have we contributed to this middle spot? Correct. And what's what's our role? Like I do feel I, I mentioned earlier, I was, I'm the president, or we mentioned it in private. I'm the yeah. president of the Dramatist Guild Foundation. It's a great privilege to uh, go and help other writers out in the community, and I feel. I feel it's my responsibility, actually. I feel that I have a responsibility. I've been fortunate, and I love the art form, and I want to help other people, and this is a way to do it. And it may sound a bit Pollyanna or silly, but the truth is we do help a lot of other people. And we we've just – Jeffrey Seller and his family foundation just gave us $2 million in December towards our goals. And uh, we're grateful to Jeffrey and his partner, Josh Lehrer, and, and their whole foundation. And – we have other friends like that, and it feels to me like that's my job. My job now is to help other people, and I want to write pieces like Unbreakable that can speak to our community and can speak to the community at large right. and say we're, you know, I guess it's my version of we're here, we're queer, and we sing really well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny because you talk about in that moment when we were talking about being where we were in the middle and our responsibility in our places, and it made me immediately think of 41, which is one of the songs on here that you start talking about the AIDS crisis. And for you and I, because, you know, we're the same age range. You might have been a senior when I was a freshman or something. I don't know. I would have, yes. I was Probably When something. you were a sophomore, yeah, I would have slammed you into the locker. <laughs> Could you imagine? Get out of my way. Get out of my way. Look at you. <laughs> senior, on my way to the music room. 
So my God, that's where I like lived. The West that's where I lived, the music room. That was where I was. That was like my office. <laughs> Get out of here. This is my space. <laughs> now, wait. So, so, but, but getting back to 41. 41 and it's like, f- for you and I, there was a whole wave of mentors that we lost yeah. during that period. And so, do you feel, as you were just saying to me, it's like, do you feel it is your responsibility? Truly, to to take up that torch. Look, there's at the uh, National Cemetery or Arlington. Uh, there's the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, and and we have a responsibility as a community of of Americans to acknowledge there are people who died for for the things we believe in, or some of the things, most of the things we believe in, like liberty and patriotism yeah. and all that stuff. Um, and we don't know who they are. Yeah. And uh, in our gay community that same thing happened and that particular piece you mentioned 41 was taken from an uh a notion uh the notion of it came from an article in the new york times uh that was published in 1981 in july buried somewhere in the in the a section and it said 41 gay men in los angeles and new york die uh, or diagnosed with a rare cancer and it was what was known as the gay cancer originally and the chorus sings about this. Doctors in New York and California have have diagnosed the, a rare form of cancer, and it mutates into this prayer uh, that, as if it were suddenly um, one person singing, although it's three hundred, and they sing, "Heal me, someone, heal me," and it's this notion of what what must have one of those people felt like being left and abandoned and you've seen those photographs of people who wore gloves or hazmat suits and how terrified everybody was that it was communicable uh, in the air etc and then it actually moves again uh, where the melody is taken over by the orchestra and the men in the chorus sing the numbers because we don't know the names and they sing one two three four all the way to 41 and the way it was staged in san francisco it was so moving. It was a replica of a photo they had done. They've lost over 250 men from the chorus yeah. to AIDS. And they took a photo of the chorus uh, some years ago where 250, whatever the number is, were facing upstage and only like 15 men were facing the camera, all varied spots in the chorus. So you could see, you could actually see. This is what this one community, this one choral group in this community in San Francisco, how AIDS decimated this community. And we did that during the counting. And as they were counting, more and more men turned away and sang upstage. And when they got to 41, only 15 or so men were facing downstage. And it was just it was so over Oof. overwhelming and they get back to the lullaby and they sing heal me someone heal heal me free me from this hell to the most beautiful music i could muster and the idea there is the the idea that's the the wonderful magic of music and lyrics is that the music gets to be lovely and warm and embracing and joyful and tell you life is good and hopeful and the lyric says this is absolutely horrible. And so that combination uh, was was just deeply affecting. And I think uh, I, I'm very, very proud of that of that particular yeah. piece. Thanks for mentioning it. Wow. Wow. But again, history lesson, which I love the idea of. I love it that it's in a musical form because it's easier to remember. 
True. <laughs> That's how people. It's like it's like Schoolhouse Rock. Exactly. I mean, I, you know, rocking and a rolling, splashing and a splashing over the horizon. What can it be? I mean, oh I know all that God. early. The, some of that. Stuff. I know the preamble of the Constitution because, because of that. Yeah. Yes, we the, the people. people. There it is. No, That's is that, and you know who? Um, the my parts of speech. Yes, I nouns and uh, exclamation points. Verbs, action verbs. Um, and we said, apart from a sentence, by an exclamation point, or by a comma, when the feeling's not as strong. So when, when you're, you're happy, hooray! Or, or sad, sad oh. or frightened, <laughs> eek! Or mad, rats! <laughs> or excited, rats! Or whatever, or glad. Um, and an interjection starts a sentence right! See, look at that. You know, Lynn Ahrens. <laughs> Lynn Ahrens wrote a lot of those. Yeah, she oh wrote the God. music to some of them as well, yep. I think. Oh, my God. See, look at that. The thread of musical keeps... This is how you learn, people. This is <laughs> how you right learn. You learn your parts of speech right at one though. point. You're right. And though. then now you have an opportunity Gay history with at another. Gay history at another with Unbreakable Words and Music by Mr. Andrew Lippa, available on Ghostlight Records. If you guys want to get your shock on, shock, shook-a-boom is the, uh, the, the parent label of Ghostlight. And again... You know, Andrew, we, I always, you know, I'm sure you go on with your day living your life, but I love that whenever I have a moment and I see your name come across something, I always, always, always remember the first time ever meeting you and remembering how, how solid that whole experience was with you, me and John August sitting in that room and all of us talking about loss. And I will never, ever forget that because it's now we're in the 12 year range of my loss and it's, it's nice when I think about that, because I remember in that moment thinking, you know, I'm not really alone with that. Meeting Joanna Gleason the other day, I learned not alone with that either. So the concept of how I lost is not unusual. Well, it's unusual because it's unique to me, but it's not unique to the world. And so again, so I thank you for taking time and hanging out with me. And I urge all of you who are listening to go out and get unbreakable. It's available everywhere that you can now download music. Um, and, you know, take some time and go back and check his library, honey, because he's got some cuteness in there, too. Don't forget the Adams Family. Don't forget uh, your moments out of the good man Charlie Brown. And, of course, I will always, always be sentimental when it comes to Big Fish. So, Mr. Lippa, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And we will be back. There are two men in my life, him and you. There are two men who'll be speaking when I'm through. Prices Curtain Call on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, and now Mixcloud.